This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Got a, an episode we've been waiting for for a long time for a lot of reasons, but we finally have got the behind-the-scenes things ready to go and talk about Adafi Owe and what he means to the Ravens, not only in terms of, of the ceiling we're talking about and a very high ceiling. Uh, you know, Some would say a low floor. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But really, in terms of how he differs from a lot of the Ravens draft picks of the past. And uh, here to join me today and talk about that is Caleb Wharton. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. So you are at Maze of the Mind on Twitter, correct? Yep. Primary place to, to find you? Definitely. All right. Outstanding. Caleb's been on the show a number of times. A lot of you who are longtime listeners, no doubt, remember him. Uh, did a great presentation at an analytics conference we had that I really enjoyed. Uh, and uh, he's a great guy to have on for this particular topic. The research he's done is incredible on this. So it uh, really does a lot of draft research in general, but we'll go into this. So uh, let's uh, let's go back to Adafi Away here and... Tell the story as you'd like to start. I know you like to set up a story and do a presentation. So let's hear it, Caleb. Okay. So, you know, this this is partly about kind of the Ravens and, and the draft strategy. But this is also partly a love letter to Adafi Owe. You know, I'm a Penn State fan, uh, so I followed him in college. Um, I was confused and pleased 
when we took him, I think that's probably the two best ways to describe my emotions because uh, he was one of the few ed- top-notch edge players that I was convinced there was zero possibility taking. You know, I, I, I had him crossed off my list once before that he wasn't even worth considering. And, and I think that's a big part of why I wrote, did the study, wanted to have this discussion with you. I wanted to know what it meant, you know, or it did it thing that the, the Ravens did something I didn't expect in taking a player like OA. So, you know, that, that's kind of what this is about because the Ravens have a long-standing reputation as a production-oriented drafting organization. They demand a certain level of comp- uh, production, a certain level of playing experience, and a certain level of competition from the players they draft, really, at, at any part of the draft in terms of defense and in terms of edge players. Uh, and OA just doesn't doesn't, you know, kind of meet the standard that I thought the Ravens had. So I wanted to look into that a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about this in terms of the Ravens' former draft picks, because I know that's a great place to start always. Uh, you know, we've we've talked many times on the show, for example, how Ozzie Newsom had a very set pattern for drafting dimebacks. Edge rusher, obviously much more of a premium position. You can't get it late cheap as often. But tell us what you saw in terms of the similarities between the Ravens' draft picks of the past. Well, let me start really quickly by sort of setting the stage with O.A. himself. So we're going to kind of compare three things. We're going to compare draft position. We're going to compare production and experience in college prior to their draft being them being drafted. And then we're going to look at athleticism. So for Adafi O.A., picked at pick 31, 2021. Uh, from an athleticism perspective, this is the fun part with uh, O.A. for certain. You know, I, I'm going to refer to relative athletic scoring um, pretty extensively through this whole discussion. Just, uh, I, I'm sure most of your viewers know what this is. At a high level, it's a single number between 0 and 10, which is attempting to sort of capture relative athleticism of a player compared to other players at their position. So it basically takes uh, 10 physical measurements and combine exercises, rolls them all into a number, and then sort of decides where that player is relative to other players in their position. In their position is the most important thing in your mind about RAS, because the position that a player is labeled in makes a huge, huge difference in terms of where their athletic score is going to be. So um, with OA, he is either the most athletic outside linebacker in history, according to RAS, at a 10 you know, mm-hmm. the, the best there has ever been, according to that scale, or he is a top five uh, defensive end at 9.92. And I, I think that, in general, defensive end is the much more competitive position. Yeah, you don't need to explain all this. I mean, this first of all, it's too, de- it's too deep in the weeds. But second of all, defensive end requires more size, outside linebacker, presumably more speed. Rass may or may not be measuring those two things and relativizing them correctly, so... Yeah, but no. Go ahead. I'm I'm with you that you know you're you're looking at his draft position away as at the top, not quite at the very top because he's not a top five pick, but a first round pick. You have an experience in production factor that you're going to rate on a scale of one to five. Away would be a four or a five. Not very good. Um, Short production and uh, and in terms of RAS, he's absolutely a one. He's at the top of any list for that. Right. 
And, and then kind of moving to production, I think the thing that's important to look at is in 2018, he played 3% of his team's snaps. He was on the team, barely played. In 2019, he played about a third of their defensive snaps, and he really only became a, a starter in 2020, which was a short season for the Big Ten. Um, and, you know, it's notable that he received first and second all-team conference honors. Um, but uh, in general, he, I think he's a player who shines in advanced metrics much more than counting stats. He's the third best run defender in college football, according to BFF. He was the third best in the conference in terms of pressure rate. And, but it's important to keep in consideration that he was outsnapped and outproduced. Go ahead. Yeah, I just I want to say, I mean, whatever we didn't see on film, and there's a lot of upright play. There's a lot of uh, not quickness off the ball. The other coaches within the Big Ten and the people who elect the all, made the all-conference honors, they understood who he was as a player despite the zero-sack year. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and one of the things I found actually just today, which I wanted to share, uh, because I, I'm not sure very many people have come across it, I, I, a number of commentators, including, I think, Edgar Allen on YouTube, commented about OA's lack of get-off, that a player with his level of athleticism should be much faster off the ball. And he mentioned that he thought the reason that was the case in certain plays was that he was reading the run, waiting. You know, he, he was being coached to wait. And uh, there was an interview recently with the Penn State defensive coordinator where they asked him, what's the one thing you would do differently? And he said flat out, we needed to make less emphasis on the run because it stunted our pass rush. So I think there's some truth to that, that Owe was being coached to kind of, you know, pull up and not go after the quarterback full board. Okay, I'll just say that really doesn't explain what I saw on film in terms of him on pure pass rush snaps being taking a very inefficient path to the quarterback. And I look at that as a positive, I'm Caleb. I look at that as saying that that uh, this is a player who obviously has some coachability, seems to be a smart young man, good head on his shoulders. G reports have been good in terms of initial days of OTAs and whatnot, that he's very coachable. And if you can fix those sorts of problems, upright play in particular, uh, I don't think bend is something you automatically have to a certain degree that the, the day you step out of college. And he certainly had almost none. Uh, it, was a, it was very much a weakness of his. So I think it's something that they'll, they'll get to and they'll correct. I'm a little more concerned about how fast out of his stance. I think that's harder to correct and more like what you test in driver's ed to see how quickly you react to stepping on the brake as soon as you see the red light. That's fair. And, you know, according to PFF, he had a grand total of 400 uh, rush snaps in college football. So he didn't have a lot to work with over the course of his career to kind of get better in that area. But I think the other thing that's important to consider with Owe that I think will distinguish him from a lot of players like him uh, in terms of his athleticism is that he is an excellent run defender. Um, that was something he excelled at. That was something he graded well at. And often when you have people with his level of athleticism, they get put in a like a, a, a pure rush role, that's all they do. And when they come into the league, they have so much to learn from a run defense team. Yeah, I agree. So let's, it's, it's an unusual place to be. And he definitely he gets off his, the, the block very well. He's going to be on the naked tackle 
most times he'll because he'll be playing that rush position on the weak side. So he'll be he'll line up opposite a naked tackle. And he gets off that guy very well. And I think what we're going to see is when they reverse runs against the Ravens this year, having OA on the field should be a big advantage because that's the kind of speed and athleticism you want to uh, run down that guy or force him to make a great circle route. Now, that's the wrong analogy, but, you know, a longer route to the edge. Uh, OA should bring a lot of that to the Ravens immediately. And you just named my favorite thing about OA as a player, that he is able to get into plays that are probably being run away from him intentionally. You know, he, he can cover a lot of ground, and, and he, he works. He gets involved, gets into it. So um, so we've talked about sort of his production and some of the things he's good at. We've talked about his athleticism. So let's jump into kind of how he compares to some Ravens players historically. Um, so I wanted to concentrate on the other two first-round picks. And, and the fact that there are only two in the entire history of the Ravens is pretty remarkable on its own. You know, it, it, that's, this is a premium position. This is a position that play, you know, teams routinely throw lots of draft capital into. It's a little unusual that we haven't. Um, and the two picks are Peter Boulevard, who was at uh, fourth overall, and Terrell Suggs at tenth overall. In actually, I don't have the date for Bullwar. Two thousand three and nineteen ninety seven for Bullwar. And um, the thing is, though, that's a very different part of the draft <laughs> than where we took away. You know, pick thirty one and pick four and pick ten are, are, are different domain. And honestly, it shows when you look at Bullwar and Suggs as uh, a production perspective. They were both three-year starters. They were, you know, in Division One schools. They both had a, a high-level production all three years. They both had ridiculous peak years. Uh, Bulwar had a 19-back year. Uh, Bulwar, in particular, might single best um, physical comp for uh, Odafe in Ravens history. He was a 9.69 Raz with almost the same play weight. Uh, that Adafi had, although not quite as long, not quite as explosive. So, uh, you know, it's a good company to be in, but just very, very different levels of production. And, and Suggs is also worth calling out because I think Suggs is the poster child of what Raz isn't good at mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of a power rusher, kind of a power-oriented rusher. Although one thing I wanted to call out that I didn't mention earlier um, there was a study I found which talked about uh, the, uh, the different exercises which correlate best to sort of top-end production, all-pro, pro-bowl-level rushers. And they said it was uh, the short splits for the 40, so the 10 and the 20. And the 20, yep. And uh, the bench press. And guess what Suggs excelled at? At 270 pounds. <laughs> I'm a little surprised that it's the bench press. And the reason I, 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 I would be surprised is length is really important. Adafi away at 34 and a half inches, that's going to be one of his big 
athletic advantages he brings to the table is being able to dictate first contact with a combination of incredible speed, amazing length. I, he can he can go outside and then counter, inside and then counter, whichever he needs to do, and, and that should really help him. But arm length negatively correlates with bench press. So you 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 know those guys who have great arm length typically don't bench as, as effectively, but they're very effective on a football field. So I, I, I love the length for him. Well, and I think one of the things to keep in mind is when you look at the exercises of the combine, the majority of them are movement drills. So in my opinion, the majority of them are going to favor a speed rusher kind of player, mm-hmm. whereas uh, power is not necessarily in the menu. So to me, that, that sort of ability to surge forward quickly and the ability to push with one's upper body, and the only way we have measuring that, the combine, is the bench press, as flawed as it is. You know, so, I, you know, I, I, I think there's something said. So, so I also... Go ahead. Ravens do have other combination power metrics that I know they use in terms of their drafting. Uh, they have they use the the two jumping exercises, the vertical and the long jump, to do that. But I would agree with you that that doesn't really uh, map to get off. None of these really map to to get off. They they really need some sort of metric for that. That's at the combine that says, hey, you know, when as soon as I turn the red light on, how quickly can can this guy hit a hit a target or, or maybe put a certain amount of force into a into a, a, a dummy that's standing there? Not to digress too much, but I feel like sometimes the team kind of let the combine be what it is and kind of mm-hmm. be a forcing function for them to pick which players they want to invite to their personal workouts. And they have their own regime that they put all kinds of creativity and, and quantitative metrics into, and they don't want to share with everybody. So the last thing they want to do is improve the combine. <laughs> anyway, um, so the other two players I wanted to pick out, talk about, was uh, Courtney Upshaw at pick 35 overall in uh, round two, 2012. 2011. 12. And, uh, what's up? It's okay. He's tw- 2012. Uh, this is his rookie year. Oh, okay. Um, so the reason I picked out Upshaw is, one, he is the closest edge rusher to OA in terms of draft capital. You know, they're only, what is it, four picks apart. And he is about as experienced as a college player can possibly be. He started four years at Alabama, you know, highly productive, although you know, not overwhelming sack production for each, uh, each of his four years. I think uh, he was a average athlete. I mean, he had good size at about 270 pounds, but really nothing to hang on his hat on from an athletic perspective. He had an, he had an okay bench press, decent length arms, 32, I think. Um, and to me, he, you know, I, I don't think the Ravens will ever have anything bad to say about Courtney Upshaw, but objectively didn't get where I think the Ravens hoped he was going to go. No, uh, not even not even close. He ended up with more personal fouls than sacks as a Ravens. It was like eight to seven. I did not know that. Seven is his sack number. I know. And I, I, I was looking at this all the way along the line. So that did not work out um, from that perspective. There, there are a lot of dissimilarities between Upshaw and Oway because he's a very average athlete. you know. And But they, the thing they would have came to the table on both of them at that point is, I think we got a guy who could be a pass rusher, but I think we have a high floor in terms of a run defender. I think it's the wrong way to look at it, but I think they thought that about Upshaw. And Upshaw, as a, as a rookie, was a good run defender. He really helped the 2012 Ravens uh, in regard to that. But it, he wasn't he wasn't certainly 
a great run defender, and he also, by providing very little of the pass rush, there's nobody who could sugarcoat it and say that Courtney Upshaw provided value. He's he was really a failed second round draft pick by any. Yeah. And, and to me, he may be a little bit of a cautionary tale of, okay, we want somebody who is about as experienced and polished as an edge rusher can be coming out of college, mm-hmm. didn't bet enough on the upside, right? right. We, we didn't go for someone who had the ceiling. And, you know, what you get is a four-year contributor, which is not nothing, but not necessarily mm-hmm. that high in the two kind of the contribution. Yeah. I so the other... Yeah. I, I, I want to come back to this for just one second here. Is sure. if, if you're looking at the difference between the two, Oway clearly has a very high ceiling as a pass rusher. I don't know how anybody would have really mapped that to, uh, to Upshaw at the time, although they would have hoped for development. Oway's younger. He's played the game less time. There's, there's, a, there's a higher ceiling there. The problem comes when you draft your rush linebacker because of what they can do for you as a floor, as a run defender. That's a structural problem, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I'm actually going to touch on that a little bit later. And I think it's one of the reasons why OA is such a special fit for us. I'm going to skip ahead and just say it right now. You know? Go ahead. I think one of the Ravens' handicaps is that because we are so schematically complex, we have a hard time carving out rush specialist roles for rookies and giving them lots and lots of snaps. Like, for example, when I looked at Daniel Hunter and his development the Vikings went out of their way to give him pure rush snaps, all he did. And they did whatever they had to do in the rest of their their, off, you know, their defense to make that happen for him. And I don't think that's something the Ravens want to do, right? That That's a sacrifice. You would have to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, but uh, I, I think that the, the Ravens being a back-to-front team, maybe that we want someone who, Play both run and pass, mm-hmm. and it's a big benefit to have someone who can be on the field off. So let me let me just take the other side of that argument for the sake of the show here is that I think sure. the Ravens have played so much of this race car package, or so I call it the last few years, the four outside linebackers on the field. I think Away will see a lot of those snaps this year. When he's active on game day, which I presume will be right from the start, I think he'll see a lot of those uh, of those snaps right off the bat because they're willing to put three and four outside linebackers on the field. He, the thing he brings on third down is actually something we haven't talked about yet. It's, it's the potential as a as a pass defender he brings in in coverage is that he you know he has extraordinary speed you know he's he there's no reason athletically why he couldn't be similar to Tyus Bowser as a pass coverage asset of course he won't be because Tyus Bowser is way ahead in terms of the other makeup components beyond that are non-athletic purely uh but but he certainly has the ability i think to to jump in on that i think the ravens because they like to disguise that blitz so effectively with four outside linebackers i think we'll see a lot of away right away well uh, kind of pivoting back into uh, uh what we were talking about talking about tyus bowser from an athletic perspective so bowser is an excellent athlete 9.7 raz at outside linebacker this is kind of our opportunity to talk about outside linebacker versus defense end. uh for whatever reason, with the RAS scale, outside linebacker is a much less competitive uh, sort of pool of players compared to defense. So there's a number of players I'm going to talk about that when I say as a outside linebacker, throw in a pinch of salt in terms of like, oh man, they have this super, super high score. And Tyus Bowser is a good athlete mm-hmm. or an outside linebacker. 
and then and that has a lot to do with his size and length height. So, um, Oa is taller, heavier, much much faster in a line in a, in a straight line. To your point about coverage, however, Bowser is an exceptional change of direction athlete. Yep. His three cone was darn near it was darn near the creme de la creme of the outside linebacker was it actually better than Oa and the three cone and the short, short shuttle it, were those better uh, the three cone specifically I don't know about the short shuttle it was okay. significant um, now he's a smaller lighter player mm -hmm. so that, that, that but that is something that uh, Bowser excels at and I think that's something that helps him in coverage that said you know you've got a Ball, linear wide receiver or tight end streaking down the field away is your man. He can keep up with anyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe maybe he you know is more like a Dallas Thomas in terms of coverage. Of course, that would be fantastic too. We'd uh, <laughs> we'd certainly take that. So so just to, to cover the production end of Tyus Bowser. You know, I remember when we drafted Bowser, we called him raw, and it's funny kind of saying that knowing kind of OA's production background because uh, Bowser was still a two-and-a-half-year uh, starter and had a reasonably good, you know, eight-sack year. And then that was in a year where he was injured for much of any of the games. So, inarguably a more productive player than OA was in college, at least in terms of starting experience and counting stats. So, uh, even one of the least experienced and most athletic uh, um sort of edge rushers we've taken in our history is still much less athletic and much more experienced than Owe. <laughs> and that's kind of the point I wanted to make, that, that when you walk away from the draft history of the Ravens, Owe looks like an outlier. He's the best athlete we've ever taken at the position, except for one person you just mentioned, <laughs> Adelius, uh, Adelius, is that how you say his name? Adelius uh, Thomas. Adelius Thomas, uh, who is the other greatest athlete we've ever taken at the edge position, but a different kind of athlete. He was 9.92 Raz as a defensive end, but a 270 pound. Mm -hmm. So think bigger, much faster uh, Matthew Judon, basically. Uh, that's how I think of him because I didn't see Thomas play. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I could just speak to this. I mean, he came in as a defensive tackle slash defensive end. I think when Ozzy drafted him, he thought five tech based on that size and a guy who you'd, you'd get on the uh, field uh, either they weren't they were in a four three at the time. So they probably weren't looking ahead to playing a three uh, four. But but he was certainly a five tech or defensive end um, a, at that time really played a fair amount of defensive tackle on the inside very early, uh, then moved outside. Um, and then famously in 2005, when the Ravens had a mess of injuries in the secondary, the Ravens used him essentially as a strong safety for 265 snaps. They oh my only goodness. three defensive, only played three defensive backs on 265 snaps. It's just incredibly incredible for today's game. Um, it wouldn't happen again, but uh, but they had so many injuries, they had to make it happen, and Adelis was their best guy. So, so talking about Thomas, not too much of a digression, but where do you think he would go? So he went in the sixth, you know, back when he was drafted in 2000. Where do you think he would go in today's NFL? 
is it, you don't mean like if we know what we knew now, because obviously you'd go yes, the top no, no. the first round. As a three-year starter in a Division One school, but a secondary conference with otherworldly size and athleticism and decent production, you had a 12-sack year in college, where do you think you would go? Because um, I think third yeah, third easily. Uh, I would agree with you. It's it's it was a school. There was there was probably more of what is now Power Five waiting in drafts back then. Uh, you know he, uh, yeah, that's that's probably the reason. He went to Southern Miss, so it's 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 uh, you know I guess it's it's it was Conference USA is Southern Miss. Yep. Okay. So yeah, I still say third round, maybe higher. Yeah, because I mean, I, I have to look at now. Granted, he had sort of higher end sack production. You look at a Marcus Davenport, just like ripped up Division Two, went on the top half of the first, right? You know, as as a two year and change starter, just like racked up a bunch of sacks and had really good, you know, measurables. So I, it's not impossible he could have gone in the second or the first, really. Anyway, it, it's just interesting to kind of go back and look at at. Um, how much more we prioritize athleticism and how much deeper we're willing to dig. So, all right. So we've kind of established what we already knew in a way that, that, that OA is a production outlier from perspective. So what I kind of wanted to come at next was why did the Ravens pick him? I think the answer is because he has the potential to become the first franchise edge rusher that the Ravens have taken since Sucks in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I, to do that, I kind of I wanted to take a look across the league and say, okay, is there anyone who looks like Oway from a, an athletic perspective and also especially from a production perspective in, among the top edge rushers? And I was actually surprised uh, it didn't take a tremendous amount of effort to find players like OA, just not players on the ring, you know, players taken by the way. So, and I'm going to kind of tell a story with these because I think we see, you know, we talked about Adelius Thomas and how maybe he would go higher today. I think um, there's an evolution to tell about here as well. So I want to start with Daniel Hunter taken pick 88 round three in 2015 and probably the most common comp for um adafi athletically they are very similar their body type is very similar their style is very similar but their production is really where the resemblance is strongest he only had a year and a half of production of uh, of starting experience granted that is an lsu during kind of a, a, a period of strength. So top-end competition, but also a top-end surrounding cast. And 1.5 sacks <laughs> his senior year. So very poor production for a player whose kind of whole calling card was rushing. I was not able to find uh, sort of advanced stats to see if there were any kind of redeeming qualities for Hunter the way there is for Oway. But I think that's something worth bearing in mind, that back in 2015, a player like Oway would not have those things kind of helping to kind of boost his his stature. Okay, so what you're saying is that the RAS metrics were not there, or are you saying that like PFF college pass rush stats? The PFF kind of type of metrics. It would have been reliant on him somehow catching some coach's eye and somebody doing a deep 
you know, film analysis on it. And, um, you know, similar to OA, he was a young player. In his case, he's just young, you know. Mm-hmm. Came into the league as a 21-year-old, had very little football experience. And um, I did a little bit of a film review, because actually the original idea was I was going to do a side-by-side comparison of Hunter and Owe, uh, a better a better rusher and inferior uh, run defender. And actually not quite as good an athlete as Adafi. Uh, although 9.89 Raz at defensive end is no slouch, to be sure. Right. But but I think the thing to keep in mind when we talk about Hunter is I think Hunter is basically the godfather of high you know highly drafted ultra athletic iffy production edge prospect. I think his success paved the way for a lot of players who after. And I think he's another one of those players who would absolutely not have gone in the third <laughs> where he drafted kind of closer to the present. So the other half college sacks for Daniel Hunter, by the way, in three years at SEC. I don't know if you mentioned that already or not, but I did not. But it's interesting how much he started despite that production. Yeah, he he played 52, uh, sorry, 26 games as a starter. No, 26 games, that's all I can say. But but the the big number is the tackle total. So he had 142 college tackles, yet only four and a half sacks. But he did have 21 tackles for loss. So he probably was one of these guys that was more of a solid run defender. Obviously, a lot of them had to come on runs and really was not thought of to have anything but pass rushing potential when he was drafted. Fair enough. So I wanted to move forward to 2017. And, uh, you know, when I was going to put this together, initially I started looking at Bud Dupree uh, until I discovered to my surprise that there was actually a better comp on the Steelers. (laughs) So we, you know, you know, everybody knows that TJ Watt is one of the best outside linebackers in the league. But I think what I forget, what I think a lot of is that one, he went late first, the 30th overall. Uh, and he was actually, from what I've been able to figure out, a historically inexperienced first-round edge rusher. Mm-hmm. He had a year and a half of starting experience, and he had one very good season, 11th sack. I, I don't think he even started for 2015 at Wisconsin. From the looks of it, his his tackle total, he had 63 tackles in 2016 and started all 14 games. But in 2015, looks like he was a situational rusher because he only had seven tackles in eight games. Okay. So, the, when I looked at uh, the, the stat sheet, it said he started a few games that year. But maybe maybe I'm, I'm, I'm incorrect. That, that's why I kind of gave him the fraction of the start. started here. So that's fair good. enough. Uh, but either way, that is not much. You know, that's about the same that Owe did. Just had a single better year, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that Owe did. And he didn't have to deal with a COVID short year, his, you know, his senior year. So anyway, uh, and, and he's an extremely good athlete. You know, people compared him to Dupree, and Dupree always got the billing as the raw athlete. What was the better athlete that the two of them, hands down? You know, no contest. So, uh, and he had the longer arms. I know we have to shout out the long arms yeah. here. 
<laughs> just, I, I, I went, this is not a perfect comp or anything, but this is maybe more like it relative to the time they played. TJ Watts, 6'5", 243. That is a lean as a rail for a 4-3 end. Uh, in this game today, or a three-four outside linebacker, either one. It's 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 very tall. Drink of water here. If you go back in in Baltimore Colts history to Ted Hendricks, a guy who was even taller. Ted Hendricks playing weight. Do you happen to know? By the way, do do do. So I know who he is. I know he was reputed to be to be a thinner, taller linebacker, but I don't know the. Don't know okay, the so I have the the Colts two thousand. Or sorry, nineteen seventy one media guide, and they say that that his playing weight was more like two twelve than two fifteen, at six seven. So that is like a uh, safety weight. <laughs> it's a it's a very odd build. It's a basketball player. I mean, but but you know they did made do with less weight, and one of the points they made is that you know despite his leanness he doesn't give up any strength because of it and uh you know just uh, he would he would not be picked today obviously right well and what i what i don't think while we're talking about the weaknesses of raz and one of the things that i think is exceptional about what uh that is not captured by that metric is his endurance and that's not something i think we talk about with athletes a lot because you know, we kind of measure for explosive ability but the the, the Steelers run him into the ground like they Absolutely. do so many of their defenders, and he just eats it up. He never slows down. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And the four three teams in general, but the Steelers in particular, have absolutely abused their defensive linemen over the years uh, in terms of, of of overplaying them. And the Steelers obviously do you know run a hybrid that they that they do a little bit of both. But the four three teams do a ton of that. If you look at the at the at the uh, teams like the Jaguars in the past, or or uh, I'm trying to pick some other good ones, the Vikings would be in this group. Uh, you know, they they just really overwork those defensive of linemen and uh and the Steelers in the in the Aaron Smith and uh uh Brett Kiesel era really leaned on those two guys in particular to extraordinary snap percentage totals so you know I I think in general Watt was you know so we talked about Hunter kind of going earlier than people thought he would based on athleticism even with limited production I think Watt is another breakthrough you know, of those kinds of players getting closer and closer to to be normalized in the first round. Where was and, athleticism via RAS? Uh, 9.92 at outside linebacker. So he's one of those asterisks outside linebacker players. And it's really mostly about his play weight. Um, it's just really light compared to most of defensive ends. And while he's uh, kind of a good athlete, kind of a four or five athlete, obviously he's not in the same universe as as a hunter running, you know, a four four, or a Von Miller running a four four, or an Adafi Owe running a four three eight. You know, just just not in their league. But clearly, you know, he he had a high ceiling and he made the most of every bit of it. Mm-hmm. So the last player I wanted to throw out was 2018, uh, Montez Sweat, the Washington football team. And I kind of wanted to throw him out because he's, a, he's another interesting contest, contrast to OA. Uh, he is, might be the only defensive end in the entire league more athletic than OA. Taller, longer, heavier, faster in a straight line. Technically, his RAS is lower, uh, 9.9. But it's worth noting his measurements were taken at the combine. 
and the measurements yeah. that kind of put <laughs> OA over the top were all combine sensitive of you know, the 40 time and, and, and the three cone time, things so like that. OA collected. Yes. So I think it's safe to assume that we should be giving you know, Sweat a little bit of an edge. But it's, you know, I, I mentioned Sweat because he was a more productive college player, uh, definitely a more polished rusher, but close athletic comp. Uh, he's thought of as extremely raw player. He's also young in football years, kind of very unpolished. And he stepped in fairly quickly and become a, a top 16 player, according to PFF, at the edge position, Washington football. Now, I'm not sure there's a better surrounding cast than what Sweat has right now. So we should kind of take that into account. But I think he's definitely another vote of confidence that a player with OA's level of athleticism can, can absolutely be one of the best. Okay, one of the Even. things I would point to with Sweat, and this is relative to uh, Owe, is he's a he was an old college player. He, so he, yes, he, he was a tight end originally. State, uh, sorry, say again? He was a tight end. Okay, so Michigan, Michigan State. State transferred, yeah. missed a year, played oh. two more, and he, he's, he was 23 when he played his first NFL game. So uh, with Owe, and I don't honestly know exactly Owe's age right now, but he's younger than that. So let's just take a look real quick. So Owe, oh darn, it doesn't say here. Let me keep working on that while you make your next point. I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's okay. You know, you know, the other thing I would throw out is we do have advanced metrics for him. And uh, actually, Owe is the better advanced stats uh, player. Mm -hmm. you know, according to PFF, he was the more efficient rusher. He was the more consistent rusher. Uh, he was a much better run defender. Right. So uh, it, it's it, you, you end up with this interesting kind of pick your poison of do you go with the, the counting stat production or do you kind of put your trust in this more complex uh, advanced stats to put one player over the top? Personally, I'm I think really it, big on putting age in there as one of the most important statistics, and and some of that's my baseball background. That I, I, I you know, I, I get literally physically upset when I see an article written about minor league prospects that omits age for most of the players. It's just it's the single most important statistic for a minor league player is where are they playing relative to their age. If they're doing a good job there, maybe if they're not hitting a little bit, I'm even okay with it. Maybe if they haven't fully developed themselves as a pitcher, it even matters less for a pitcher. But for hitters in particular, they have to make it quickly. Away right. in terms of relative age to sweat is three months younger at the time of his first NFL game. So three and a half, really. So that is an advantage. I'm not saying it's a huge advantage or anything, but it is some. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, in general, I just it's worth picking out that um, I did sort of an eyeball test going through top 16 um, edge rushers, according to PFF. And when you look at the RAS scores on there, there's some noticeably low RAS players. You know, our own uh, Darius Smith, one of them. Uh, Shaquille Barrett over in... in uh, Florida is another one, but the majority of them are Von Miller's and uh, Brian Burns and and the, the Watt brothers, the Bosa right. brothers. These are all nine plus Raz athletes. Yeah. If you want to be in the, the the franchise club, that is the cost of admission to be one of the best athletes of the position. 
Is it, is it fair to say, though, that Zedaria Smith now is in the franchise club? He's just he just wasn't drafted as a as a franchise guy originally. I mean, he's, I, he's, I, he's, I played the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they let him. Uh, they let him go. That's one of the things that I think was missed about Zadarius, and and obviously there were other issues with him. I'm not saying he he didn't. He was alone in terms of that issue. There's other issues with Tim Williams too, but I think one of the things that the combine wasn't really getting was the get off of Zadarius and his ability to cross the face of that guard and and cause the kind of problems that McPhee had on the inside. I don't think that was really figured by a lot of teams in how they had him boarded or they would have had him higher. I mean, I just, I, I can't believe somebody who came into the league is that much of a physical rock would have had a, would have had a, you know, wait to the fourth round. Well, and, and when we talk about, well, and, and remember he was at Memphis, the Kentucky, Kentucky. Um, he was considered second fiddle to um, Dupree. I remember. Yep. Yeah. And you know, look where they are now. But, but, you know, I think also Smith in particular speaks, to, and McPhee and Suggs all speak to, I think, a, a clear weakness for Raz in terms of these outside-inside, you know, 270-pound uh, defensive ends who are, okay, have, so have more of a power game. Maybe, maybe we ask that question a different way and say, if you're the Ravens and, and you're, you're Ozzy or now DaCosta and you're saying... Um, I need to figure out how I can beat other teams in terms of drafting outside linebackers or edge rushers. And I'm not going to be able to do it by drafting at the top of the first round. If we have a pick, we're probably going to have to use it on a quarterback or a left tackle anyway. I can't, I, I can't ever count on having an early first round pick to get the edge rusher that I really want. So then it comes down to, how do I get that marginal edge rusher? And if everybody else is looking at RAS, that's the last freaking thing I want to look at. I want to look at tape. I want to figure that out. I want to figure out who's, who's being underscouted for being a smaller school. And I want to figure out things like get off that are not measured, uh, you know, in, in RAS and combine results. So I want to figure out what the other teams are missing so that I get the real value picks. And that's where I think, you know, some of this real mid to late round value for the Ravens has come from. They've been able to continually stick those good picks on offensive linemen and, and at outside linebacker by really figuring out what are the other teams not getting. And I think that's fair. I, I, you know, the next section, I sort of ask the question, does OA move the needle in terms of do the Ravens need to do things differently now, right? Mm -hmm. does, does, he, does he mean some new reality in terms of how the Ravens do business? And in my opinion, the answer is, for the most part, no. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that to be the answer when I did this study. You know, I expected him to sort of be the sea change in Ravens drafting, but I think especially for outside the first round the way the Ravens have done things is the right way to do and, and I would add to your list of underappreciated qualities coverage, versatility oh yeah you know, oh, you know? Sure. And, and I think our kind of back to the front approach our scheme based rushing I think we can take Dalen Hayes in the same draft class as uh, Owe more of the same frankly mm -hmm. same you know um and we can make more of him than many teams could make of him. It was almost to the point where I was going to ask you the hypotheticals, like, do we need a player like Obey? Do we need to chase that franchise upside? It's a little like, you know, you're talking about Queen. Do we need that three down inside linebacker? I know your feelings on it. Clearly the Ravens <laughs> might feel a little different. 
Well, I'll just I'll just start by saying if the Ravens approached this in their traditional way before the end of the first round and said, you know, what is it that the other teams are not going to get? We think a way is if they if they truly had a way boarded as a 13th or 14th or 15th overall player and they drafted him at 31, no problem at all. Because they, because they've, I, I, I'm tr- I trust that they've done their scouting properly to figure out how this athleticism can translate, how many things he has about him that are broken at the college level. And by the way, you look at his film. There's a lot of problems. It's getting out. It's 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 the erectness of play. It's all of those things that that is a uh, that are really serious problems. That the Ravens are thinking. Hey, this is an opportunity. This is a, a problem-tunity or a, or a problem-tunity. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't a bad thing. This is something other teams are going to miss on. And, and I think they, I hope that they've, they've identified value that they can harvest. And I really don't want them justifying the draft pick on the basis of his floor he created for his run defense. I think that'll be the icing on the cake, but it better not be the cake. That'll be the Boykin blocking. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, I love Boykin's blocking. You've heard me say it, but uh, oh yes, but yeah. So you know, it's, sometimes it feels like we're just trying to comfort ourselves. But yeah, no. It, it, but you know, the funny thing is, I uh, uh, look. We, we've been talking about uh, sort of low low production players with high athletic ceiling moving up in the draft, moving up in the draft. This year, we had basically three of. Them. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Rousseau, we had Tryon, and we had Away. They all went exactly the same spot in the draft. And what I haven't been able to decide for myself, does this mean this is the new normal and we're going to be seeing like multiple of these kind of prototype athletic rushers sneaking to the first? Or is this sort of an exaggeration caused by COVID? Yeah, when you look just at, by the fact that there weren't a lot of great uh, edge rushers with big numbers in 2020, which you may be ascribed to COVID, but but it could have just been a bad edge rusher year with some great upside guys, but not a lot of great production guys. All possible. I, I mean, clearly you just say we need more data, you know, but I think it's fair to say that athleticism is definitely being uh, valued more than ever. I think the college game is going to create more variability in pass rusher projection because these players are getting less and less development. They're being deployed in narrower and narrower ways to get them on the field faster and to minimize the amount of coaching they need. So you, you have no choice but to tolerate more risk if you're going for you know, starter or, or better than starter level upside at a lot of positions, and I think Edge is definitely one of them. Uh, the, the, uh, the other one that's often cited, which is similar, is it's very hard to identify uh, the guys who are going to be good Sam linebackers at the, at the college level because the, they're always the best pass rusher on their team also, and they really don't drop into coverage very often because the defenses need them to rush the passer. So yep. you, know, you have to go by the you know, trait-based stuff that, that you really don't have actual reps to look at as much. And, and I think in terms of just, again, uh, reinforcing why I think the Ravens are and must uh, be a little bit more tolerant of variability in, in, in risk at the edge position, I think the EDC has uh, uh, said on multiple occasions that he feels that there's a flattening of draft evaluation you know, across the NFL, particularly in the early rounds. You know, I, 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 there's just fewer people doing really dumb things <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. in, in the early rounds. You, know, you can't count on a bunch of people to make mistakes other than the Raiders. 
you know, um, or the Seahawks sometimes. But but you know, other than them, people, yeah, it, you know. But 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 what it means is you have to pick and choose uh, your variability and hope you're seeing something that someone else doesn't. And you also need to make your hay in the later rounds when other team scouting departments have been run ragged. And keep going. Because uh, one of the points I was making way back when we were talking about Delius Thomas is uh, one of the things that's notable about the Ravens drafting is that we don't throw the dice on athletes in the late rounds, and that's kind of a cr- uh, a crutch of a lot of teams. In the late rounds, when all else fails, just take an athlete. Mm-hmm. And and to my mind, that I think that often because of the limitations of their scouting department, they have no other data available, so they just go with athleticism. And I don't think the Ravens ever hit that point. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I th- I think that's a that's a very good point. I mean, Adelis Thomas would be an exception to this, you know, getting him in the sixth round. But the Ravens never really have had a good seventh round pick. And Campanero and D'Angelo Tyson are guys that are close to that. That ain't much. And certainly not drafting for a exceptional athleticism in those regards. I think that the Ravens have, have used those rounds to do this, you know, counter drafting for value component to try and say, where are the other teams blowing it? And that's usually not on athleticism. Usually the other teams are right there in terms of trying to, trying to, you know, like you say, use it as a crutch or use it as the first indicator for a pick as early as maybe the fourth or fifth round. So anyway, to kind of summarize, uh, everything up with a bow in regards to Adafi Owe and the Ravens' edge drafting strategy. I think he's a very special case in a very special time. I think it's fair to say that the uh, Ravens are going to be more tolerant to risk and variability in most positions, edge being one of them, but I think that was true before Owe. I think it would have been true regardless of what we did regards to him. Uh, and uh, but I think special player who I I hope at least um, fits us schematically in ways that most players with his upside don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives us the potential to unlock just tremendous value. Yeah, I I, I absolutely love this this discussion for so many reasons, Caleb. And I know that there's not a lot of people out there who can produce the kind of effort you did to put this together because I know how much work this was to, to kind of go through and look at all these elements but this really touched on all the bases and it did it in the best way is to have a case study basis that you're looking through this and to look at, at really what is the underlying philosophy that led to the OA draft you know was that a counter and then look at the other examples in the later rounds to see you know how that might have differed as well I just I, I love this discussion could could we could do this every night and I'd be happy. Uh, but uh, I know we only get you for one here. But if you're out there and you'd like to do a film study short, take a look at what Caleb did for this and, and, uh, and really consider how he put this material together. I'd love to have this kind of discussion with you. Um, and uh, Caleb, uh, tell folks again where they can find your work or, or find you on Twitter. Sure. So uh, at Maze of the Mind on Twitter. And uh, for the most part, I lurk, occasionally comment. I have a young child in the house, so... Uh, Reading on your podcast is about the totality of my Ravens uh, writing right now, although I'm hoping to get back. Okay, well, great stuff. And I'm, um, this it sounds great. We haven't heard the baby tonight, and we haven't heard my dogs. That's a win. You know, so <laughs> we got that. Uh, Caleb, thanks so much again for uh, coming on the show. Thank you, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing this again sometime soon. 
and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.